0: Hey, history lovers, I'm Mike Rosenwald with Retropod, a show about the past rediscovered. He was tall. She was short. His family was well off. Hers wasn't. He had not a care in the world. She was a worrier. If you looked up Mismatch in the Dictionary, this couple, Martin D. Ginsburg. And Ruth Bader fit the definition perfectly. And yet, in the early 1950s, as undergrads on Cornell University's bucolic campus, they fell in love. Mostly, they fell for each other's brains. Bader, the future Supreme Court Justice, idolized their literature professor, Vladimir Nabokov. One day in class, Ginsburg was the only student to correctly answer Nabokov's quiz question about Dickens. Oh, how her heart swelled. Ginsburg, in turn, admired her, quote, intellectual luminosity. He was, she later said, the only young man I dated who cared that I had a brain. This remarkable and ultimately heartbreaking love story is chronicled in historian Jane S. DeHart's new 722-page biography, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, A Life. In chronicling their courtship, marriage, and careers, DeHart keys in on perhaps the most extraordinary part of their relationship, Marty's, quote, proto-feminism. Early on in Coupledom, Ruth and Marty agreed they should pursue dual careers in the law and that they would never get in each other's way. A novel idea in the 1950s, as traditional gender roles were still evolving. And their love flourished. They held hands on long walks around a lake not far from campus. They drove around in Marty's gray Chevrolet for hours, sharing, as Ruth put it, an intense intellectual and emotional connection. Not long after graduating in 1954, Ruth and Marty got married. After their honeymoon, the newlyweds moved to Oklahoma, where Marty took up an ROTC Army assignment and an artillery base. After dinner, they read Tolstoy and Dickens aloud to each other. It was in Oklahoma that the couple discovered that Marty was the better cook. As a general rule, Marty told the New York Times in 1997, My wife does not give me any advice about cooking, and I do not give her any advice about the law. This seems to work quite well on both sides. A couple years later, they were off to Boston to attend Harvard Law School. Marty went into tax law. Ruth took a headier path in constitutional law and working on women's rights issues, racking up impressive legal victories around the country as a young attorney. In 1980, President Jimmy Carter appointed her to the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit. By the early 1990s, Ruth was pegged as a possible candidate for the Supreme Court, a position she deeply coveted. She also knew nominees couldn't promote themselves, a total no-no in Supreme Court decorum. But that didn't mean others couldn't and shouldn't lobby on her behalf. Enter Marty. Though feminist organizations that Ruth had been closely aligned with early in her career were skeptical of recent comments and decisions she had made on women's issues, Marty was not deterred. Through intermediaries, he lobbied powerful members of the media, including New York Times columnist Anthony Lewis. On June 14, 1993, President Bill Clinton nominated her to replace retiring Justice Byron White. The announcement of this vacancy brought forth a unique outpouring of support for distinguished Americans on Judge Ginsburg's behalf. What caused that outpouring is the essential quality of the judge herself, her deep respect for others and her willingness to subvert self-interest to the interests of our people and their institutions. In closing her own remarks, Ruth turned her gaze to Marty in the front row. Most closely, I have been aided by my life's partner, Martin D. Ginsburg, who has been since our teenage years, my best friend and biggest booster. Marty died in 2010. Cancer took him just as it had taken Ruth's mom. Near the end of his life, Marty was admitted to Johns Hopkins Medical Center in Baltimore. Doctors had run out of options. The family decided to take him home where he could die peacefully. In collecting his belongings, Ruth found a legal pad with a letter addressed to her. You are the only person I have loved in my life. Setting aside a bit parents and kids and their kids, he wrote. What a treat it has been to watch you progress to the very top of the legal world. I'm Mike Rosenwald. Thanks for listening. For more forgotten stories from history, visit WashingtonPost.com slash Retropot.